Welcome to Talks at Stellenbosch Uni, Stellenbosch University's podcast where we talk about current topics and innovative research done at the university. Here's your host, Roseanne Engel. Today we are joined by Professor Lindy Heineken. She is the Chair of the Department of Sociology and Social Anthropology at Stellenbosch University. Her research focuses on armed forces and society, where she has published widely on a range of issues, including civil-military relations, military unionism, and defense transformation. Her current research focuses on gender integration, military recruitment, and the effect of militarization on society. Thank you, Professor, for joining us. Thank you. You've written a book titled South Africa's Post-Apartheid Military, Lost in Transition and Transformation. Can you tell us more about how the book came about and why you decided to write this book? Oh, the book is basically takes together my research over the past 25 years of the South African Defence Force. So it was a culmination of, of all the research I've done. And it was also necessary because the Defence Review, um, um, 2015 Defence Review has just come out. Um, a couple of years ago, and there has been a necessity to to really engage with defence issues a little bit more broadly. So those were the motivations for publishing the book. And also there has not been a book that has specifically focused on South Africa's post-apartheid military. So that was the, the purpose of the book. And I tried to pitch the book in such a way that it is it will be of useful of use for academics and students, but also for policymakers. And um, so that it, you know, I wrote it in a style that it would be accessible to a broad audience. Obviously, we want people to go and buy and read the book. But if you can sort of like summarize a little bit in a nutshell, like what were some of the biggest things that you discovered through writing this book? Um, I, I, I think, I think the, the main focus really on the, of the book was to look at the different processes of transformation. We tend to think of transformation only in terms of racial transformation, but the Defence Force underwent actually four different transformations. They went, uh, underwent an organizational transformation where their task, the, nat- the nature of the, the military changed um, in the post-apartheid era. So that was to point out the challenges that this brought and also the, the effect of, shall I call, wrong decisions at the time and how it's affecting the military presently. I think this is one of the things that the book um, because it spans 25 years, has been able to point out. And then what I also did was um, to look at the legal and political transformation and how that impacted on the Defence Force's policies and practices. And then uh, lastly, I also looked at the human resource transformation, which has been quite quite fundamental, and that's where the gender issues sort of come come into it. And for me, it's it's very nice to actually see how the the parliamentary portfolio committees on defence, both committees, are actually using and referring to the book um, in discussions. So it's 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 obviously providing a um, a. Um, uh, sufficient information to fill what we call a knowledge gap that has emerged on the military in South Africa. 
primarily because people are less in touch with the military. They know less about the military. So it's it's full that void. Wow, it sounds very interesting. Um, and like you said, I don't think a lot of people you know, know necessarily what the military in its entirety entails and and sort of their responsibility in society. Um, and you, you've also, you've touched on the issue of gender um, and you write quite a lot about, you know, the place of, of females within the military and, and in particular, um, you've written also about women claiming their place in peacekeeping operations. Why, why is there a need for more women um, to be involved in peacekeeping operations? Well, I think the the first the first real motivation, and this stems from the, the UN Security Council Re- Resolution 1325, which has called for more women to serve um, in 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 the um, in shall we call it broadly in security sector reform. And the reason for this is because armed conflict, in particular, affects men and women differently. Men are more likely to die in the conflict, while women are more likely to be displaced or be exposed to sexual violence. And within these contexts where the military is playing a a role where they are not fighting against the population, but there to protect the population, mostly civilians and children, um, it is important that there aren't, there's not just men who are interacting with the local co- uh, community because often the women, when they see soldiers, they are just traumatized by the presence of soldiers. So having female soldiers that can engage with the local population and understand the needs and challenges that the women are facing is uh, of great benefit to militaries that are deploying to these countries affected by armed conflict. So that is the the main underlying reason. There are many challenges, of course, that women face on these missions, but that is the the main motivation. And and what can you maybe mention some of those challenges, you know, that especially women within the military are facing? You know, I mean, a lot of this is is influenced by by patriarchal attitudes still um, within the military, very masculine environment, very patriarchal environment, which still remains hostile to women. So um, even though women can play a a great role um, in these armed conflicts and and, and I I definitely... um, uh, have a mitigating effect on the behavior of men, often you see that commanders decide not to deploy women on foot patrols because they are scared of the political repercussions if, for example, they are attacked and the rebel soldiers catch them and then they are raped. Male soldiers um, sometimes feel that the, having women with them um, makes them more vulnerable to attack. And we see this, for example, in Sudan, where the Janjaweed is kind of resentful that um, our military deploys women, uh, which are seen to um, break cultural values and tradition um, and seen as a negative influence. So there's these kind of local cultural barriers. So the 
So, um, and you even see in these cases that the local women um, will stone the female peacekeepers because they seem to be, see them as as breaking cultural norms and values. So there's these type of challenges that that women face when they are deployed. So, so it's not just a case of of having female peacekeepers which are sufficiently trained. Often the environment in which they are deployed are very hostile. But it's really interesting, and I think I must tell you this story because it hasn't really been received the media attention that it should have, is that in one instance, for example, um, it was a South African contingent, they, they, it, um, and they were deployed into what we call a red zone, which is a danger zone, and the 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 male soldiers decided that the female soldiers should stay on base and guard the base while they go out into the red zone. And of course, what happened then is the rebels attacked the base with just the women left in the base. And they were magnificent. They chased those rebels running out of the base. They they were cohesive. They opened fire. And this mitigated all the kind of misbeliefs that were being propagated that women will not be able to cope when under fire and when being attacked. Um, so so that, that has also helped to shift gender binaries. And that is why it's important that women are part of gender mixed teams and that they are not excluded and put into roles which are considered to be more suitable to their gender. Um, which is not, which just perpetuates inequalities. Wow, that that's an amazing story, you know. And it, and like you said, it shows the power of females and and also not being, you know, boxed um, and stereotyped by uh, their gender. Um, but the other thing that I I wanted to also find out from you, you like in your research over the years, have you seen like an increase of you know, women joining the military, particularly in South Africa? Yeah, there, there's been a, an assertive affirmative action campaign to increase more women in the military. In fact, the target has been lifted um, up into, to 40% in recruitment because the retention of women is much lower than men um, because of childbearing, because the, a military career is an all-absorbing career. We say that the military is a, the military and the family are both greedy institutions. The family demands a lot of time, and the military de- demands all your time. So it's often more difficult for women to to fit into the the kind of military culture. The other challenge, of course, is that when you are recruiting women. Um, because you mean to, you've got to meet targets, you're not necessarily recruiting the right woman. And this creates what I call a gender backlash when there's not, it's not uh, that men are not hostile towards women serving in the military, but they do become resentful when women are, are recruited just because they're women and they don't fit the 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 profile of the actual post in which they are placed. So you find, for example, that 
um, the infantry requires the most uh, most personnel and very slight women which are not able to cope with the physical demands of their job are now placed in the infantry and that creates tensions around around gender issues so it's not as much as as women should not serve but that um, when you come to appoint a woman in certain posts, you must look at the po- the post person profile, and that is not a gender issue. I mean, that is that is a leadership issue. That's a personnel issue, which is not being adequately managed uh, because of the political pressure to meet targets. When I was at school, I mean, I I never thought of joining the military. And I think for a lot of, you know, young females at schools, I mean, that's not even an option. And how can we sort of change that as well in terms of the education system, like shedding more like light on careers within the military? Do you think that should be done to also help? Oh, well, it's very interesting that you ask that, that that question. Some years ago, I was requested to do exactly that project, which was to go to schools to find out um, um, to what extent are the are the youth interested in a military career, and what influences their their career choices. And it was it was. Um, quite an eye-opener to listen to the debates amongst the, 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 the boys and the girls about whether women should serve in the military, where the women sort of said, yes, we, the, 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 young, the girls, learners would say, yes, absolutely. And, the, and some of them, the boys would say, a woman shouldn't be seen carrying a gun, you know, that is not their role in society, you know. So, you know, those kind of patriarchal values are even embedded in the kids at at school, although the the girls quickly challenge them on that. I think what you've raised here is that there is a lack of awareness um, about what the military is currently used for and what it does. And of course, what is not helping the military is the the negative public image of of the military. Just this week, we had reports on violence against women Um, in the military. Again, our peacekeepers have not got the best reputation. In fact, the UN has almost banned South African soldiers because they have um, the highest cases of sexual violence against a woman or gender-based violence has, has been reported by South African peacekeepers. And this also stems from, from the culture within the country. So the, the, the military, in terms of its recruitment strategies, has an, not been very proactive. And coupled with this, the public image of the military is not the greatest. And this all, of course, affects recruitment. Wow. Yeah. So we still have a long way to go. And and what would you say, you know, what, what can governments do and those in leadership, you know, to change this narrative around the military and how they operate in society? Well, it's very interesting that you ask this question. I've currently got an, an a, a opinion piece which I've written, written for the conversation. It should be coming out this week on exactly that topic. There really is a need for for public debate on what what type of defence force the country um, needs and what kind of defence force the country can afford, because at present 
um, the military, um, the its its op, its its ratio in terms of what it spends on personnel, what it spends on capital expenditure, and what it spends on operations is completely out of out of line, and the 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 mandate is not matching the budget. So there needs to be far greater public engagement around issues of defence. And we also see it's not just about about what the roles and functions of the military should be, but how the military should be trained. Um, I am really not a supporter of deploying the military in its in an internal role, as we as we've just seen in terms of the levels of, of violence on the Cape Flats. The default of the military is to act react aggressively and with violence. That is how they are trained. So if we are going to have a military that's going to be playing a far greater developmental role within the country, then we shouldn't be looking at a military like we have at present. Then we need a more constabulary military, which means a restructuring of our restructuring and a retraining of our of our current military. And these are the type of issues the public needs to debate. Because the military at as is now in such a critical state of decline, it it will it will not be able to do much of anything if it continues the way it is. Well, thank you for for that uh, for that note and for for us ending off on on sort of like your advice and where we can can move forward um, in terms of changing you know the narrative of the military in South Africa. I thank you, Professor, for joining us today, and I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Follow all the latest Stellenbosch University news at www.sun.ac.za or follow us on all the largest social media platforms.